You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and I, Niels Kassel-Larsen, are excited to be back with you on this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where we are going to discuss the last week's events in the world of rule-based investing and take some of your questions. So um, good morning and good day to you, Jerry Moritz. Hello, morning. Niels. Morning. So another um, interesting, volatile week um, I think it's fair to say, um, certainly seems like many of the different uh, sectors uh, are uh, starting to um, to have a little bit more uh, volatility in the in the day to day uh, trading that we've seen for for a while. Uh, clearly, there's a big story at the moment, of course, with energy. I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but um, but of course, also fixed income didn't disappoint on the volatility not volatility side, but certainly there was a few moves there that that impacted performance during the week. So why don't we just, uh, you know, jump into it straight away? And maybe I'll come to you, um, Moritz, first, just sort of your overall thoughts about the week. Uh, anything that you noticed um, that we can um, stick our teeth into, so to speak? Just like you said, more volatility. Um the week for me has been relatively flat, just very slightly down. Um, down though for the month because the first week of November was, uh, you know, about minus three or a bit bit more even than that. Yeah. Um, but in this past week, um, the you know we we had a long position in in crude, um, but but that long position was relatively small. It got reduced uh, toward the end of October, so we we had some losses there, but they weren't that large. Um, Net gas, once again, um, offset parts of that. And then as far as the bonds are concerned, I mean, bonds were rising. Uh, we had long positions in the Bund. That was good, but short positions in most of the U.S. bonds and that herd. Um, so as a result of that, flat type of week. Yeah. Well, I think that flat week was pretty good. We certainly got uh, hit much harder than that on our side, but mainly from the U.S. fixed income markets. Uh, like, you, like you mentioned, I mean, Whatever we uh, whatever we we lost in in the sort of the oil complex we we made we made back in, in natural gas um, metals didn't do too well for us either but but certainly the dominant performance driver for the week was uh, U.S. fixed uh, fixed income um, so uh, so we're you know certainly down for the month and then we also managed to give back what we had made up uh, the previous week uh, and a little bit extra than that so um, yeah. I know, Jerry, you don't necessarily look at performance each day, but maybe you um, did notice a few interesting things in the markets um, that caught your attention, so to speak, whether, it, whether it's the, the indices or the single stocks. We're always interested to, um, to hear what's happened in, in the Chesapeake portfolio. Well, it was all dominated by energy, of course. Very disappointing. Uh, the... In our opinion, the conclusion of the uptrend in the crude and heating oil, uh, kind of a relentless sell-off, and uh, the long-term strategy that is supposed to keep you in the trends and avoid the choppiness, you know, that gives has a tendency to give back more profit. So, uh, kind of a very disappointing year. It seems to me that lots of these sell-offs of the long trades they look about the same, just kind of relentless down almost every day uh, fun to be in natural gas um, it's uh, over the years you know 25 30 years it's had similar chart patterns where it skyrockets and crashes after skyrocketing so we'll see what happens it's fun to hang on to this trade and see uh, maybe a trade that might be dominated by a lot of trend followers getting in and <laughs> pushing it up uh, I did see that Someone sent me the performance of a ETF that is short natural gas. So Oops. that had a bad performance one day. And the widow Sounds spread like is the back. XIV. Did you, did you hear about that? The widow spread is back. So you know the, the front end of the curve rallied, and you know we're uh, at least I'm I'm uh, 
I'm involved in the front end, but the uh, the March April spread uh, 2019 that really went up. Um, not sure if you saw that, but that's that's what's called the widow spread because it's uh, it's essentially a uh, you know position on on storage at the end of the U.S. winter. All right, I didn't I didn't I didn't get to that. That was interesting. Yeah. No, I mean uh, yeah, you're right. I mean it, it it does seem pretty ferocious what's happening once we get these uh, you know market moves at the moment. And uh, I was uh, listening to various podcasts and watching some interviews, and there seems to be a little bit even among people who've been around for for a very long time, uh, probably even longer than 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 the three of us, where they they. There is, a, you know, in their opinion, there is this tendency. A lot of these crashes that people fear, you know, doesn't really show up as as they would normally do. These sort of medium to long term bear markets. A lot of them are now starting to show up as two or three weeks types. You know, as as we've seen in energy, really, you know, sold hard down for for two or three weeks. I think I think crude is down now twenty eight percent from its high to the recent low. I mean, in in a matter of weeks. I mean that's pretty significant. So I don't know if some of these, some of the things that you've noticed as well, when you look at the the markets themselves, whether things are have changed a little bit in that sense. It's hard to say. I mean, I, it feels quote unquote feels, and it's never good to go with your feelings, probably. But it feels <laughs> like it's too many trend followers, too many people, and it feeds on itself. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Although I still, I know you mentioned trend follows Jerry, but I, I don't know whether I really think it is uh, trend followers per se driving these, uh, you know, big moves. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. Uh, you know, if I look at some of the things we've done, uh, you know, and and of course we we do things differently in that perspective compared to to what you do i mean we haven't been adding to our net gas positions for sure in in the last uh you know week or so uh, on the contrary probably taking some 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 risk off the table because of this explosion in volatility so 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 that i i don't know i i just i don't i, f I feel it's more short-term uh people in that sense uh, maybe more algo driven uh than than the traditional trend follower but i could be wrong of course Yeah, let's what see about, what comes next. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any any position, major position changes uh, that we've we could share with people? Um, I have not noticed any one in particular on our side. I would say, um, so I would imagine you've probably not had any big changes either on your side. Any of the single stocks that were interesting this week, by the way, Jerry, that you noticed? I didn't notice anything unusual or. It's pretty quiet week for us on the single stocks. So yeah, I think uh, I think the bond market was sort of interesting. I've been on record on this podcast talking about uh, all these bonds that are sort of correlated, highly correlated. Yeah. I don't like having big bond positions. It's almost one market, and yet there are some uptrends and some downtrends, and I think they're all intact. And it's very interesting how. Uh, different they look on the chart these days yeah yeah uh, that's for sure um any interesting news from the sort of the world of 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 systematic trading or hedge fund world as 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 we can uh, be included anything that you've noticed on on that front before we jump to uh, to your top tweets for the week um any articles that caught your eye not on my side. No. Nope. Fair enough. Fair enough. We can't have new new things happening every week. So why don't we jump to some of the tweets? Uh, let's see what people um, reacted to um, uh, from from your point of view, Jerry. Yeah, I had a couple that stood out this week. Um, I think uh, one that got a lot of attention was um, I did a retweet of something Moritz tweeted that people liked and uh he says trend following is rough but it's better to be roughly right than precisely wrong keeps you in the game <laughs> people love that they love how it sums up what we do and we it's okay for it to be rough but we're thankful that following prices 
uh, keeps us safe. As long as we trade small, yeah. I think uh, trade small, follow your system, and hopefully your system is based on price. Those are two hugely important things that uh, I had a friend call me up yesterday, closing his fund, and I th- he said, I thought there was a niche for aggressive trading for large returns. I've been there. I mean, I, I, it, there is a niche, but being able to pull it off is a whole different thing. Being able to sit there and uh, your clients sit there when you're losing lots of money. Um, so that's difficult. And then it's, it forces yeah. you sometime to not follow the system. And yeah. um, another trader in Europe I saw down 25% last month. Uh, great yeah. trend follower. Love this guy. But I don't know. I think that's really an issue. Let's get back to making 8% and having a a lot less than a 50% drawdown. That's and Don't try to be any better than that. I think uh, when you try to get too good, make too much, um, you can get into lots of trouble. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that you bring that up, Jerry, because I remember, you know, probably around 15, 20 years ago, there was a lot of funds being launched where managers, including some of the managers that that I worked uh, with, um, where you would do like a 2XL version or a 3XL version of your product. And uh, of course, it was very hairy. And we 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 know that some managers and certainly some managers that I've interviewed on, on, on Top Traders that were launching some really highly leveraged versions of their own product. And that seems to have been completely reversed. I mean, uh, certainly on our side, what we've done is actually launch, uh, you know, some years ago now, but but like a half leverage version, as you rightly say, you know, trying to bring it back to to a level of volatility where there is a much higher probability of people staying with the strategy for the long run, um, and and obviously trying to, you know, make improvements that also allows people to stay with the strategy. So it it really seems that the that that has changed uh, a long time. And I think it also has to do with the fact that it takes a long time for people to kind of change their opinion uh, of, of, of certain things. Um, and, and clearly, we've now had a, a long period of time with relatively low volatility in the equity markets. And, and that's maybe what's what we're reflecting now on our side by having lower volatility products. But then maybe... Who knows when volatility comes back and everybody gets used to, you know, 15 to 20% volatility again, then we're all going to go back and launch higher vol products, maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, what other great tweets did you have this week, Jerry? Uh, let's see here. This one sort of stood out and I don't know really why. So we can, um, okay. I have my own guesses, but this was a quote. Uh, Every world-class investor is questioning right now how they can improve. So in a machine-driven age where everything is driven by speed, perhaps the edge is judgment, time, and perspective. Unquote. Then I put, and trend. So I doubt that's the part that made it popular. (laughs) But uh, I do think that we kind of want to um, hope that that's true, that our judgment and perspective and these human qualities we have, can we want that to have a positive impact. And maybe we, we, we think that, well, we don't have AI. We're, all we're doing is trend or our analysis with spreadsheets or whatever all of us are doing. Uh, so these, hopefully these other things will mean something and kick in and I will not – I will be able to compete with complex machine learning with all of these different tools. Maybe I'm not sure that might be wishful thinking, but I think um, we hope that's the case. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Moritz, when you hear something like that? Yeah, um, I agree with that. And it's just uh, just as you guys spoke, looking at at the uh, the Twitter feed of things that I thought were were interesting also in the past week and uh, i think i shared that paper from from jim from uh, 1987 not sure if you remember where yep where i thought well that's that's just great i mean that's like you know 30 years in the past more than 30 years in the past and um 
And so much wisdom in that paper about systematic and quantitative trading and the advantages of that of that style compared to discretionary decision making. So I really, really like that. Yeah, and you say Jim, but maybe we need to give people a little bit more clue to who Jim is. Jim O'Jongnessy. Uh, yeah. Not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, uh, that's him. Um, I think he's running he's running an asset management firm in the states, so uh, um, people can surely find him on Google. Um, that's yeah. not a problem. But really, yeah. uh, really interesting paper, and uh, not sure why. What were some of the key takeaways? I know you've uh, you ca- you came across this paper a long time ago, as far as I recall. Um, what what are some of the, your key takeaways and is this something that we kind of tend to look at when things get a little bit rough and we need a, all we need a reminder about you know some of the some of the benefits of being systematic yeah it's all about you know the biases um that you know your your mind is is just prone to to trick yourself right um every time there is a bit of volatility in the markets uh, you think you uh you maybe know something better than other people. And uh, at the end of the day, you end up outsmarting yourself. So having that compass, that just, you know, that that guide, which are, are the rules and following them relentlessly, that is such a great advantage. And and doing that over and over and over again, I think, you know, this is the essence of that paper, but it's like 30 years old. Um, and I was kind of like, wow, very interesting that it hasn't crossed my desk yet because you know we're all looking out for those type of things but this one was uh was a gem yeah it, it reminds me of a conversation uh, jerry and i had with uh, richard dennis when we did our turtle our turtle conversation uh, a while back jerry i don't know if you remember but i think uh, rich kind of ended the conversation by saying something like well maybe the trend is your friend but the rules are definitely your guardian angel yeah yes that's something i've believed in and that's been my history whenever i haven't followed the rules and sometimes due to high leverage and large losses it's it's never worked out so i love following the rules yeah and speaking about leverage just i'm looking at one of the tweets uh um that you sent jerry um a couple of days back it says how can a systematic strategy with FX, fixed income, stocks and commodities, long short, not provide superior risk adjusted returns? Question mark. And then you answered, well, no single stocks, not enough single stocks, high fees, high leverage, robustless vault targeting, and adding non-long-term trend following. I, I agree with all of that. And I think one of the things that we haven't touched on in, in episodes prior is is the high leverage, right? Because you can have you can have a good system, but if you gear it up too much, if you start running that at 50 vol, right, or 60 vol, then you, you're very likely to not make it to the finish line because you'll get into such a large drawdown and probably blow up. I think that's a great point, Mort. Definitely. I was definitely there are, one of there those. are some some funds out there um, that deliberately deploy high leverage and and you could say well you know that's that's an efficient and good use of my capital because um you know if my margin to equity ratio is something like you know 15 to 20 percent then you know 80 percent of that money sits in t-bills so how about i you know increase increase uh my margin a bit and and, and trade more aggressively but the problem is you get one hit or you like two, three successive bad months and you're kind of like out of the game. <laughs> that, that can't be the aim. That can't be the, the goal. That's right. That's an early lesson I was taught. Whatever it takes, preserve capital and stay in the game. And I was one of those guilty of a 2X and a 3X. And my theory at the time was, well, as long as you have the 1X, you're, you know, if you're a high vol trader, the problem is that you lose confidence and uh, absolute returns kind of matter. And the client really doesn't know if you're losing money because of the volatility or if you're not trading well and you're not, and you've lost it or whatever. But if you still have this one X and it's tied to the two and the three, then you could say, Oh, I'm down 20, but really only down 10. Look at the one X program. But that soon falls apart as well because absolute return, you know, sort of matters and one must, 
treat those two investments differently from a risk point of view uh, after major a major loss. So it's nothing worse than trading large. Uh, it, it leads to all sorts of, you know, bad ideas and, and uh, reactions. We're going to react. It's not like the stock market where they say, okay, we're down 50 or that NASDAQ's down 90. Just hold, you know, uh, hold onto what you have. This is, this is the secret to investing. Buy and hold. Don't touch it. If you touch it, it's you're weak. Uh, you know, we don't believe that and we take action. So, so with that in mind, and just talking about sort of leverage and, and and volatility and things like that, I mean, given the changes we've seen uh, over the years, and also where the CTA industry and the trend following industry came from in terms of return expectations, volatility, uh, you know, expectations, so on and so forth, in in your opinion, um, what what is a what is a what is a good range for a trend following system today in terms of you know return expectations and 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 volatility what 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 you would you say is a is a number where people should you know certainly be very comfortable investing in something like that given what we just talked about i mean in terms of vol you see ctas starting at like 5 vol which is which is not where i'd like to be but like very very low yeah and you see them go up to like 30 vol i mean there are some very successful 30 vol funds out there um and uh and you know i think they're great it's just i think if if you go higher than 30 if you go 40 50 vol (laughs) then at that point you're in an area where there's just a lot of risk a lot of risk of just suffering from from one bad event that takes you out of the game and then your chips are gone and you can no longer play. So that would be too risky for me, but, um, say, you know, anything between for me between 15 and 25, kind of like that checks the box. Um, that's where I'm, I'm comfortable with things. Yeah. What about you, Jerry? Well, once again, uh, you know, I think 10, 10 to 15, uh, our, yeah. our research, if it's pure trend following, it has a tendency to have a drawdown about twice as large as the return. So the the proverbial eight eight percent return, sixteen percent drawdown, or something like, probably going to be yeah. a little bit bigger. That's you know that's five percent uh, shoot for five percent above risk free. And this is in hindsight. Yeah. We're all I'm pessimistic. You know, we've lived through tough periods, so now we're like, oh, we should really trade small. Uh, but leave it up to the client. For many years, you know, we took managed accounts and they were partially funded. Uh, and so really the client can make that decision now. And it's not up to, it's really a, we don't really know, you know, we have to choose from a business point of view. Should we be low? Should we be medium? Should we be high? Should we offer all kinds of options? Uh, it's better if, if the client kind of can, you know, it's, that's one of the benefits of CTA managed accounts. Um, the client can def- if effectively sometimes gear you mm-hmm. up or gear you down. So probably a good consultation with clients because the reason we want to stay in the game is because it is a business and we do want to keep clients and keep our company going. So getting on the same page with the client, that's a good idea. Absolutely. Yes. Any uh, Anything else um, that we can... Uh dive into uh, before we take some 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 questions uh, any other tweets comments reactions articles i think uh, both you and i jerry listened to um a podcast uh, an interview actually with cliff asness so not one of their own uh podcast but um again um you know an interesting uh, view from from his side always uh, good fun uh, and uh, and interesting and he certainly touched upon this thing about that also in their business uh, it seems like every ten years or so they have a they have a really rough time and 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 this is this is one of them um, but uh, other than that I don't think there was anything sort of new in that conversation but it's always good to hear it from from another angle I guess. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, he's very interesting. 
I had one other tweet that didn't get a lot of interest, but I liked it. It was one of my favorites. Um, good. <laughs> good topic. Um, it's one of my topics I like to hammer on. Uh, yeah. And it was the title of this article I read was Evolution and Adaption. Trend followers are constantly changing. And my point was some are constantly changing or they say they're changing. The key is to know what to change and what to never change. And change comes with its own cost. And to some degree, I think change can act like inconsistency. Uh, if you're changing a lot, you're not following the system, you know, and because you're changed, you just changed it. So now you're going to start following this new system or these new parameters and the market gods, they don't really know that you slept in or you uh, decided to get out early or decided not to do a trade or you just changed the parameters. It's basically, mm. I think this is kind of the same thing from the math gods. Uh, you know, you need to be consistent and making change is good. But, and the one thing I, I would never do would be to change my systems based upon short-term performance the most recent data, overweight the most recent data. And I think that's tempting because, quote, unquote, the markets have changed. They have they always change when we lose money. We're always worried about that. So I think that change definitely has cost. I remember one year we had a problem in 2012. We underperformed and we went in and we decided to make some changes. And they were reasonable philosophical changes, not data mining, but we sort of identified that we were getting in trades too quickly, putting on the whole trade at one time, basically. And we said, okay, let's spread it out a little bit. You know, common sense uh, makes diversify our entries, make sure that they're diversified. We thought we had a systematic approach, but it failed. And then I remember in 13 going in there to the research guys and saying, okay, we're ready to uh, come up, install these new ideas. And they were like, yeah, we're ready. But uh, the old systems are continuing to outperform these new ones. <laughs> so I was like, really? They said, no. Nah. So then we said, okay, let's wait till next month. And then next month, same thing. So we said, okay, let's wait till the next month. So next month, the same thing. So when you zig and zag, you know, the markets may, you may make an improvement, but your old stuff might work just as well or better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a, that's a great point. And I think it's a, conversation that often comes up uh with uh, with investors uh, when things are tough because you know uh inevitably some people will think that things uh, you know the markets have changed and you need to change with it so to speak i mean like you jerry we we don't make many changes i can think of three major ones in the past you know 12 years on on our side and so it's it's not a lot and 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 you're right one should never make changes because of, of performance, uh, you know, it should be because you found something that you truly believe will be a better version of what you've, what, what you've got and, and so on and so forth. But I think that's, again, the, the emotional side that, um, that, that drives this conversation as to, oh, well, you know, you're losing money, um, you know, do you need to change things in your, in your system? And, and, and very often the answer is, is no. And, and I think that's another thing that investors, get when they invest with uh, experienced managers and 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 that is the the um you know the discipline uh, not to uh, to to make too many uh, you know changes because every time you do there's a risk you get it wrong and that's just the way it is i agree with that i think this is really where experience comes into play and where it's very very valuable that you uh you've seen those kind of environments before like last october right red october and you don't want to, like Jerry said, you don't want to um, just jump the gun and say that has been bad short-term performance. And as a result of that, I'm going to change my system and maybe reduce equities because they produced most of the losses, right? Um, whereas if, uh, if you know, you're new to that game, newer to that style of trading, yeah, you may be tempted to do that. Um, and, you know, look at things to change your system make it more reactive, maybe faster. Um, and, and that doesn't work. I think that that is just not a good, a good way of going about it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I liked your tweet as well, Jerry, even if others got more reaction during the week. Um, should we take some questions? Are you up for that? Yes. Yes. Good, 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 good. First question is all the way from um, the lovely place of Ireland, and it's from Andrew. Uh, and Andrew, um, first of all, is very complimentary about how he enjoys this new podcast series uh, on his way from Dublin to Kilkenny uh, and when he's stuck in traffic jams. So that's always good to hear. He he has a um, question now. He has dealt in the past with institutional investors, currently more on the advisor side. And, and he wanted to ask us, uh, you know, or he says it would be interesting to hear our views on how to get the message across to advisors re regarding systematic and the expectations. For example, let's say the trend has a tendency to underperform in very strong bull markets, for example. Um, a lot of the podcasts I hear, he says, clearly identify this potential underperformance, but tend to keep it in the language of the quant. Not entirely sure what what you mean, Andrew, by the quant, but but um, I'm just going to throw it out to, to Moritz and, and, and you, Jerry, um, and see whether you have some some feedback as to in particular when dealing with uh, advisors you know what are the best ways to sort of uh, highlight the pros uh, and of course the cons uh, for for um, you know with regards to the systematic trading space or trend following space Pooh. so um regarding the Underperformance in a bull market, never forget that a diversified trend following system doesn't just trade the equities. You know, it trades um, FX, bonds, commodities, in addition to the equities, maybe even other markets. Um, so the comparison to just the S&P 500 or whatever equity index you're looking at just uh, doesn't really cut it. Um, um, so that that's the first thing I'd say, right? And then... Secondly, it just depends on trends. Um, you know, if you have a more volatile jumping market environment, um, you're not going to perform that well. So you always have to uh, uh, regard it and look through that lens and ask yourself the question, um, is the trend following system doing what it's supposed to do given the market environment? And as long as you can answer that question with, yes, it is exactly what it's supposed to do, then you're fine. Yeah, and maybe I'll just add to that um, because maybe that's where, where also, Andrew, you were going in terms of your question. And that is, you know, I think with advisors and, um, and of course, maybe – uh, maybe there's less so today in terms of interaction between clients and advisors than there used to be in the old days where every single trade almost had to be a discussion between the client and the advisor. Maybe that's one thing we're we're missing out uh, today. But of course, it's really down to the explanation of, you know, you need to have different, you need to have a strategic asset allocation across your portfolio. And there's nothing that, you know, at, and at any time, it doesn't really matter when, but at any time, there's always going to be one asset class that's going to do better than the others. And there's nothing wrong with that. So the fact that, you know, equities will do better in a raging bull market, I mean, that's just natural and it's perfectly fine uh, as long as you, you know, experience the the overall benefit of uh, of the other asset classes in the portfolio from time to time. And, and therefore, you can achieve your sort of, a, you know, improved uh, risk adjusted return for the overall portfolio. So, again, like Moritz said, I wouldn't focus too much about about one specific scenario but of course the explanation is that well that's perfectly natural and and it's meant to be like that i would say but you probably have to visualize it in in some ways um i remember back in the day jerry um when i worked with you um there was a lot of a lot more um sort of wirehouse money in in our industry um so there were a lot more advisors involved and maybe today um how did we go about back then describing sort of the or getting the message across to these advisors vis-a-vis trend following and and their clients? Do you have any any historical wisdom that you can share? Mm. I don't really remember, but probably like we said last week, uh, more of not crisis alpha, but 
the, the efficiency of the portfolio, if you add CTAs, tr- diversified CTAs and trend following, uh, it's a good portfolio diversifier, the efficient frontier. Uh, I would say that may, I thought he was talking about stock stock trading, uh, trend following stocks. And so I would, if that's the case, I think that he, you know, at the end of 2008, uh, trend following was doing trend following equities, let's say, was doing really well. Fast forward 10 yeah. years later, it's doing really poorly. One of the things that one would have to do, I think, in general, to compete with the S&P or compete with the stock market if you're trend following stocks would be to use a little bit of leverage to make up for the shortfall that you're probably going to get. It's going to be a, a better sharp ratio or whatever and a smaller drawdown trend following, but to make the same return, you may have to leverage up a tad. Uh, so I think, but we'd like for these people and for to adopt the ideas that we do, which it's it's uh, it's non-negotiable. We're we're not going to not use trend following. We're just going to always use it. It's part of our lifestyle. It's we're going to diversify. We're going to take small losses. We're going to pay attention to price only. We're going to do short trades. Uh, we're going to not try to buy the lows and sell the sell the highs. And so that's what we would like everyone to believe and have a, that philosophy that <clears throat> in no way would we enter these treacherous markets with anything less than that philosophy. So until we get there, we have to deal with these you know, questions of why is it doing what it's doing? But in essence, in our heart, we don't care. Uh, I'm never going to take large losses and uh, small profits, and I'm never going to not diversify and be counter-trend or pay attention to other things other than price. Absolutely. Now, one other thing you you uh, mentioned, Andrew, in your question that you you also try and visualize things. One thing to think about, and I did this, um, or I shared this analysis with 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 my uh, clients um, uh, this morning, actually. And that is if you look at uh, drawdowns, and of course this is top of mind right now, um, and you look at drawdowns of, say, the CTA index, um, you know, Barclays CTA index, for example, and you look at drawdowns of the S&P, what you find is that, first of all, if you take like the, you know, a five-year period for for calculating your volatility, so trailing five-year annualized uh, volatility, and you look at the drawdown uh, of the S&P, then the maximum drawdown we've seen in in the last, you know, since year 2000, it's something like three times, 3.6 times the five-year annualized volatility. But for the CTA index, it's only about 1.9 times. And I'm sure you'll find individual managers that might even have, you know, lower, uh, say, vol-adjusted drawdowns. And the other thing I noticed was that 36% of the time over this 18-year period, the S&P had been in a drawdown of more than one times its analyzed uh, st- uh, volatility, while the um, CTA index, uh, it was only 22%. So again, I think putting a historic perspective, looking at drawdowns in a slightly different way than just you know uh, absolute numbers, but actually looking at the fact that you know when you use certain amount of leverage you you also have you know bigger drawdowns but when you adjust for that you know equities are not <laughs> it's not this is not the holy grail uh, by any means uh, of the imagination it's just that it's been a while since we've seen this and therefore people uh, tend to think of this as as being um you know very risk-free and i was also listening to a very interesting interview with someone and i forget his name um but someone who's been in the business for, you know, 40 year plus. And he was explaining how people back in, the, this was someone who started in the 70s. And he said, you know, back in the 70s, you couldn't get anyone to buy stocks. Why was that? Because basically stock markets had done nothing for, you know, a 16 year period from 1966 to 1982. There was just very, very few returns and, and, and certainly drawdowns along the way in the equities. So you couldn't get buy, uh, people to buy any stocks. And of course, we, we now see the complete reverse, you know, that ed- everybody wants to have stocks because that's what's been performing well for the past 10 years. And that's just something you can only, I think, um, be reminded by, by studying history. And, and uh, certainly in my belief is that markets do, markets do go in cycles and, and we are most likely to see, um, you know, a reverse of that at, at some point. Um, so, 
Anyways, Andrew, thank you for your question. I'm going to jump to the next one, which is from George. And although you mentioned, George, you have four questions. I read the first part and I felt it was maybe more of a statement than a question as far as I understood it. Um, but it was this discussion between systematic and discretionary. And I think you you make a, a, a point or maybe a question whether, uh, you know, in the future, if some kind of hybrid of the two, uh, you know, a baseline trend following system complemented with fundamental macro, um, you know, might 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 be better. And and I can certainly we can certainly hear what Jerry and Marge uh, think about that. Um, you do have some specific questions really with regards to position sizing is the first one. Um, so he's uh, so so George says uh, first, can you discuss position sizing? I've heard you use or some use a percentage of AUM divided by contract value. So $100 million AUM with a 5% position means $5 million per contract value uh, equals contracts to buy. Alternatively, some define a stop in market price terms, uh, then in market price terms, then translate that to dollars per contract, then determine how much they want to risk uh, of the total AUM and find the number of contracts. Uh, and so on and so forth. And other people do uh, use volatility. So maybe we can start there and, and just discuss maybe the, the point that, that George makes about, you know, should you actually use a combination of fundamental and systematic? And then also um, maybe a little bit about how how you look at position sizing and, and, and so on and so forth. And maybe I'll pass it on to you, Jerry, first, uh, since it was a question that was sent to you. I think the uh, the turtle money management that uses volatility. Uh, I think it's in the public domain. I think it's out there. It's I haven't been able to improve upon it, uh, but using the ATR and uh, losing the same amount of money on every trade and giving each trade the same room in ATR terms. I think that's really good information, and you should check it yeah. out and use it. Uh, I haven't been able to improve very much on that basic uh, idea. It's really, really great. Sure, sure. And and just before we jump to you, Moritz, um, in terms of uh, the the other point um, that uh, George raises about, you know, should you combine systematic with with fundamental? I know, I know, of course, which camp you're in, in the sense. But is there anything you want to? comment as to why you think you know systematic only is is you know is going to win in, in the long run or is is the one you prefer in the long run yeah this one sentence caught my eye um i think the future is 100 percent machines it feels like so we won't be making any decisions uh but <laughs> yeah i think that this is another way we want life to be which is it's uh, it's it's trend following using trend is one one thing in my toolbox and i think that's not the way to approach it it is it is the entire toolbox keep everything else out uh, and that's the way to be consistent and that's the way ctas approach it we're not using trend following uh we we are using systems and we're our goal is for them to not change very much i'd have to make them change follow those rules all the time in every single market, we have everything planned out, massive diversification. We don't even want to beat the S&P. My goal for my stocks are to honestly to have some longs and shorts in the midst of a huge uptrend. It's all about risk and diversifying that risk, whether it's stocks, longs and shorts, vastly diversified, a portfolio that's not dominated by five stocks, not even in that game. Uh, so this is our life our business our job and it's we're not using elements or concepts of trend we are using systems that due to our research we have determined that that's the dominant force in the markets getting in gear with the major trends so i think that it is uh, the goal here is to uh, not do anything other than follow those systems and improve them before we come to you, Mort, I just want to add uh, to George's uh, question here. And I think to some extent, just if we just take the last week uh, as an example, and you see 
that um, you know uh, oil hits you know twenty eight percent drop from from its recent high. We see net gas it's up I think about you know fifty something percent since its low. I mean these are big moves and and you know I, I really wonder what investors would do without rules when you have market conditions like this that are pretty volatile and in flying in all sorts of directions if you want to be diversified of course if you're just specializing in one stock or one market okay maybe you can have you know enough of uh, knowledge and and time to to digest everything that comes in but if you want like us to be fully diversified there's just no way i think that a human being can can um, computate and take in all of that information and and uh, put it into some uh, perspective and i think the the true value of systematic was clearly seen um you know during the latest financial crisis where i think a lot of the fundamental uh, guys were finding it incredibly difficult to uh, stay on top of things and where you know trend followers and and other rule based strategies you know we come into the office every day and we know exactly what what we need to do and i think that's an underappreciated um, you know part of of what we do because very often you know markets are are not in an extreme um but when they are it, it's certainly useful any thoughts uh, Moritz, on these questions um, um and I, maybe i should add that george also asked a little bit about even though i think you answered it um perfectly jerry you know rule of thumb for how far a stop should be you know if it's too tight you get stopped out if it's you know etc etc you know one percent away five percent away and so on and so forth so maybe just you know take that into consideration when you when you make your comments so your answers were all perfect i agree with all of them um it's just rules only with regard to his statement and i say that because i've got my finger burns burned uh, far too many times kind of like have that uh, money graveyard here in my office because of all those decisions that I've made um, uh, when I try to uh, to override the rules and be smarter than those um, so I, I I don't do that and and like you said Niels um, if you have a large portfolio you know, there, there are CTAs out there trading 200 markets but even if it's just 50, um, overlooking all of those markets and and you know having a clear opinion on what's driving their prices and their returns for a human being. I mean, I'm not smart enough. I, I can't do that. It's just impossible for me to overlook all that and and come to any meaningful, substantial conclusions as to where price is going to go next. So rules only. Yeah. Um, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and then with regard to the uh, position sizing, um, I do what Jerry outlined. Um, it's an ATR-based position sizing. It does have an initial stop, and uh, that gives you, uh, you know, that that gives you some risk. And uh, as a function of that, you determine your position size. Now, if if you don't have, you know, think uh, think about. Um, a strategy that would say we use the moving average. So you don't necessarily have an initial stop there. You say if it crosses the moving average, you go long, and then you're long for as long as the spot is higher than the moving average, and you would exit that position and go short if a spot crosses the moving average from top. Um, in in that way, what, what he's saying with this first part of the question is that you risk 5% of your portfolio. Um, I, I wouldn't do it that way. I would still take volatility into account and say I'm going to uh, have a greater position in less volatile markets and vice versa. So whatever whatever is done um, in, in, in kind of like every time I take on a position, the volatility of that market plays a role. That is extremely important. I, I don't see it working any other way. Good. And Perfect. Another fun thing, and, and, another fun thing he yeah. wrote in his question, I really like this one sentence. Uh, human insight can help assess a situation where data is clueless. Coffee is an obvious, is in an obvious downtrend long term. And then the recent upside quote unquote breakout, which he, you know, it's not, I guess, a real breakout because it's, and so I've heard people tell me this over the years. Uh, experienced traders you know you know it's the obvious trades and i'm thinking to myself i don't have a category called obvious trades they're not obvious um price is not clueless oh it may be clueless 
but it's the smartest thing out there. There's everything else is more clueless. Uh, so I think that submit yourself to the price. Uh, it's it's safe. You may not get yeah. this trade right, but are you willing to say when you do the back test or you have experience, making money is enough. That's enough. I'm going to make a fair return with a reasonable drawdown and risk. That is enough. It's not going to handle some of these trades the way you want them to. The recent trades, I don't like them. But are you willing to say, submit to the system and say, just making the money for me will be enough. I'll be happy over the long term and I'm not going to complain or get too upset about these recent trades. And that's what we're all kind of uptight about is the recent ones. Uh, but it's this just, is so yeah, sorry. It's so important what you say. I'm sorry, but exactly. I mean, this is not an opinion contest. This is about making money. All right. I mean, the opinion to say coffee is an obvious downtrend. Well, I don't know that it may be in a downtrend, but uh, is it really obvious? That's an opinion. But in those markets, I don't see the opinion contests uh, making you money. The rules make you money. Which is, of course, why there are so few trend followers uh, on CNBC and Bloomberg to come and discuss their That's right. Because they can't trading. say anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the, the okay. successful people who called it correctly and used their judgment, they frequently have one good trade in them or two. And then it stops working and mm -hmm. they, yeah. So it's, we're just talking about safety here, navigating treacherous situations and not getting yourself in a, in a bad situation. I'm sure some people had a lot of analysis that we were buying the natural gas from somebody at that breakout, probably some smart people who had made a lot of money selling that upside breakout. It's the first meaningful breakout in a long, long time in that market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great stuff. Thanks, uh, George, ever so much for your uh, for your question. And by the way, do let uh, them keep them coming. We we love to hear from you, and we love uh, your questions. I would like more questions, actually. If I was to be frank, I would love to have more questions from investors. I think a lot of uh, our questions comes from from people who are on our side of the table in this uh, industry. So uh, keep those coming, but. If you are investing in funds out there, I would love to uh, to get some of your uh, questions as well. Here is the uh, last question for today uh, from uh, Francois. Francois has uh, previously submitted questions, and so we are grateful for for these additional ones, uh, Francois. So. Uh, this goes a little bit about asset allocation or portfolio construction. And, and the question goes like this. Let's say I want to construct a simple portfolio using four asset classes, equities, bonds, REITs, and commodities. From there, I can either deploy my cash by using a naive 1 over N allocation, 25% on each, uh, or by using a risk parity approach by sizing based on volatility. In other words, allocating more to low vol assets, less to high vol assets, maybe rebalancing at some point in time so that in the end, I keep about the same unit of risk per position. Classic stuff here. The next level would be to introduce correlation matrix between the four asset classes. If, for example, equities and REITs um, are highly correlated, uh, then maybe I should allocate less uh, on both. So I always wonder if CTAs use these correlation matrices and um, if yes, how? Your opinions, please. Yes, definitely use that. Uh, looking at correlation and that plays an important role in portfolio construction. I think the question is, do you have a, um, like, is that changing all the time? So what I mean with that is, do you continue to calculate correlations over different time periods every day? And as a result of that, uh, change your next position size because, you know, maybe correlations have gone up in the past, say, 20 days or 100 days. And that causes you to uh, uh, to take a smaller position the next time you get a signal? Or do you have a more static approach, uh, like a static correlation matrix where you say, okay, I think long-term correlations between equity one and equity two is 0.8 and between equity one and REITs is 0.6. I don't know, I'm just making up those numbers. And we'll just keep it at that level because this is based on 
uh, a very long-term historical observation and you make a correlation you make a correlation estimate conservative enough so that you don't take on too much risk in the portfolio but keep that number static until uh, you have a very meaningful reason to make a change and update to that number uh, the letter approach is what i'm doing i'm not letting the system get influenced uh, too much by a change in short-term correlations i'm looking more at the very long-term behavior of asset classes and markets um, and and that that then drives position sizing great appreciate that jerry any thoughts on this topic i would just uh, try not to get uh, <clears throat> too carried away with the correlations and the changes like moritz said uh, you know i think there's some crude and heating oil are correlated uh, take that in consideration silver and gold the obvious ones and then the obvious ones can not be correlated. I've mentioned before, a few times heating oil has had really huge moves and crude didn't move. Silver, 1987, went up a lot. Gold kind of sat there. So, And then they go right back to being 90% correlated. So I don't know. you got to figure out how you want to deal with that. And uh, one of the benefits of trend following is when things happen that have never happened before and can't really be predicted, we're following prices. We're going to be right there doing the right thing. Uh, so you don't want to get in the way of that too much, but then it doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, not take into consideration silver, gold, platinum. They're pretty much moving together most of the time. So make a uh, conservative, moderate adjustment infrequently. Yeah, and um, I would say, Francois, from from our side, I would say that we we probably uh, use correlations uh, perhaps more than 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 and Jerry and and Moritz do because we don't necessarily just wait for for new signals to to adjust things. Uh, we we look at the portfolio, uh, you know, on a daily basis from a more statistical point of view. Um, so so we do take correlations into account, but I completely agree with Jerry and Moritz. It should not be the overriding driver of 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 your uh, you know uh, allocations within your portfolio. That should be done by signal strength, uh, in my opinion. Um, but it's silly not to take uh, correlations into uh, account um, because they they do matter, uh, of course. Um, Great, appreciate that. That was really the questions for for today. Um, let me just before we we start wrapping up, let me just mention a little bit of performance numbers. These are as of Thursday uh, evening, so the fifteenth of uh, November. Uh, we have the B top fifty index down 0.71 for the month, down five point five eight for the year. Uh, Sockgen CTA down one point twenty three for the month and down seven point three one for the year. Uh, Sokjian Trend Index uh, down 2.07 for the month and down 9.26 for the year. And Short Term Traders Index down 1.22 for the month, down 1.19 for the year. And the Flat Fee Bridge Alternatives Index down 1.48 for the month, down 8.34. As I said, these are from Thursday. I have a feeling uh, that Friday did uh, move the needle a little bit. So, uh, so just take that with a, a grain of salt um, if you see numbers uh, at the end of the week that looks different. Anything else you want to bring up um, as we start to to close down for for this week? You've just the, mentioned uh, ten numbers, every single one of them negative. <laughs> yes. Sad, yes. Sad. Well, it's been one of those years, right? Where yes, so many things has not worked. Uh, very little benefit of diversification. Uh, even sometimes down to the day, as we spoke about uh, when we looked at what happened on November one. I mean, it's just been. A horrifically difficult uh, period for many strategies. Um, that's that's no other way of putting it. Seems that way. Yeah, I think the most important thing I've learned over the years is that um, some people just have the ability to withstand and continue to withstand the bad performance and the disappointments, and then when the trends come and opportunities come, they nail it as if they have perfect yeah. confidence, and so. Keep, let's get ready to do that and follow the systems and trade a little bit smaller maybe, but don't let anything get in the way. Don't don't concern yourself with your own confidence. Uh, 
put one foot in front of the other, do those trades like you're supposed to, and it'll be better. It may not be wonderful, but it'll be better than the alternative. Yeah, I completely agree with it, uh, Jerry. And I, and you know, I can't help thinking, and it's certainly not a prediction, but I can't help thinking that what we've experienced this year really reminds me about what I saw in 2007 and 2013 prior to some of the strongest periods in this industry. Um, we had some of the worst, uh, you know, back-to-back months uh, in certainly in 2013 and certainly in the summer of t- 2007. Really tough market conditions for trend followers, followed by some um, really strong opportunities. So I completely uh, concur with what you said, Jerry. It's just about one day at a time and, and the markets will uh, give us the opportunities and, and we'll we'll all be ready for, you know, to capture those. Anything else you want to share today or should we wrap it up? Happy trading. <laughs> I saw the hashtag. Yeah, there was one, uh, one person there saying... There was one uh, guy <laughs> who, who started hashtag happy trading. Hashtag I think that's trading. great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, Very well, good. on that note, uh, let's uh, let's wrap up this uh, week's conversation. We we hope you enjoyed just as much as we uh, love uh, discussing these topics every week uh, with you. And if you do, please um, you know please share these conversations uh, with your network, your tribe, and and of course we we always love to receive a, a, a rating and review uh, on iTunes because it really does help uh, us broaden the message. So from Jerry Moritz and me, thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.